it was tough going, but it was lively. <laughs> What'd you think of the open forum? This meeting of ugly people yelling? It is like torture. That's one perspective. In Boracua, the government moves like a, like a hot knife to butter. I was just here and listen to people yelling, these fat faces turning all red. Are you kidding me? We're like kings. We walk down the street and they treat us like rock stars. We answer to nobody. Well, in a true democracy, we believe that the input of our citizens is extremely valuable. Hey, these pretzels suck. Thank you. See? Welcome to the 103rd episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. I'm your host, Eric Roark, and if you're new to the podcast, the basic idea here is that I attempt to take on a philosophical topic or theme every week or so for about five to ten minutes. If you want to get in touch and give a suggestion for a future episode or leave some thoughts, the podcast email is eggtimerphilosophy at gmail.com, and the podcast also has a website, eggtimerphilosophy.com. It's pretty spartan at this point, but I'm hoping to build it up soon. Today's episode is a continuation from last week, where I took a look at some major themes from Alexis de Tocqueville's classic work, Democracy in America. Now, a long story short. Tocqueville, who's French and working as a substitute judge in France, visits America for nine months in the early 1830s. He's sent on an information-gathering mission by the French government to explore the American penal and judicial systems in hopes of learning things that can be put into practice by the French government. He does that, but he also collects many other thoughts about American-style democracy. And upon his return to France, he writes the two-collection volume, Democracy in America. This becomes extremely popular when it's released, and it launches Tocqueville's political career in France. Throughout Democracy in America, Tocqueville's goal is to uncover how it is that Americans have been able to keep in place their democratic experiment with relative stability for four decades. How have they been able to deal with the inherent problem to democracy of a tyranny of the majority? And how have they been able to resist what Tocqueville saw as the two greatest threats to democracy, the role of money within the political system, and a type of egoistic individualism that is only concerned with short-term benefits. Now, these two threats, which many would say are still the greatest threats to democracy today, are related with one another. They each have the potential to direct a person's focus solely to their own advantage and away from any serious concern of civic responsibilities. And if people within a democratic system don't really care about their civic responsibilities, then things won't be governed by the people. Instead, they'll almost certainly be run by a few autocrats or technocrats who will be happy to exercise power and run things, and at best you'll have what Plato described as an elective guardianship. The worry of Tocqueville here is that as people become more deeply insulated in their own egotistical concerns, economic included, then they'll just be less likely to be concerned with the public good. And when that happened, tyrannies of the majority won't be far behind. Now, in the early 1830s, any serious talk about the idea of self-interest and the role it played within politics was set against the backdrop of Adam Smith and his massively influential book, The Wealth of Nations. 
That book was published in 1776, the same year as the American Declaration of Independence. And one of the key ideas to come out of that book was the idea that the combination of self-interests from everyone in society can advance the general public good and create a better situation for everyone. Now, a famous line from Smith, and this is him directly from The Wealth of Nations, is that it's not the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we may expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. The basic story here is that the public good is bolstered when individuals behave in self-interested ways. People do their best to make the best bread and beer, not to be benevolent, but instead because, in a competitive marketplace guided by what Smith referred to as the invisible hand, doing this means economic success. Everyone wins. The cream, so to speak, rises to the top. Smith and many others also pointed out that a positive result of all this was that people within the market had to develop what they often called manners and morals. You had to be fair to people and treat them well, or they would just go to your competitor and you would find yourself with no one willing to buy your beer or bread. This story absolutely depends upon robustly competitive markets where individuals or smaller economic players have realistic avenues to compete with larger economic players. And this is why Smith wouldn't look around at the world today in the way that capitalism has developed and give it a very favorable judgment. Tocqueville, for his part, sees self-interest as the type of thing that can bolster democracy as well as offering a serious challenge to it. People have an interest in being governed by democratic arrangements. Fair enough. But the problematic aspect of self-interest is that it can turn a person into what Tocqueville labeled as an egoist. And he defines egoism as, and this is Tocqueville directly from Democracy in America, a passionate and exaggerated love of the self, which leads a man to think of all things in terms of himself and to prefer himself to all. It springs from blind instinct. So Tocqueville contrasts this egoism with what he calls individualism. And he says, and this is again directly from Democracy in America, that individualism is based on a misguided judgment rather than deprived feelings. It is a calm and considered feeling which disposes each citizen to isolate himself from the mass of his fellows. So the individualist for Tocqueville is not selfish in a base way like the egoist, but instead is in more of a state of withdrawal from the political process. The problem with both egoism and individualism is that, politically speaking, they're both self-defeating ideas. Neither encourages working with others in a way that would bolster a democratic government. So a society of egoists or individualists for Tocqueville might, and I stress might, have good beer and bread, going back to the basic story given by Adam Smith. But they will not be societies capable of having a democracy resilient enough to avoid significant tyrannies of the majority. And when you have tyrannies of the majority, you'll wind up with unstable and violent democracies, or you won't have democracy at all, and you'll wind up with something like the feudal system. But the egoist or individualist doesn't want that, but it's what they get with their view. 
So the selfish egoist or the retreatist individualist is actually working against their own interests, not advancing them. This is where Tocqueville proposes the idea of enlightened self-interest, or as he often puts it, self-interest properly understood. Enlightened self-interest allows a person to see that their political participation, through political associations in particular, is absolutely essential to, to maintaining a democratic society and keep it from devolving into a tyranny of the majority. A concern for self-interest viewed in this way takes a lot of work, but that's to be expected. Those in a society can do less and be governed by others, or they can do more and be self-governing in a democratic fashion. But what they can't do is engage in a completely private or personal life and just expect a flourishing democracy to occur out of the blue. There won't be any invisible hand guiding that to make it happen. Now, quoting Tocqueville directly, again from Democracy in America, I am not afraid to say that the doctrine of self-interest properly understood appears to me the best suited of all philosophical theories to the wants of men in our time, and that I see it as their strongest remaining guarantee against themselves. Contemporary moralists, therefore, should give most of their attention to it, Though they may think it incomplete, they must nonetheless adopt it as necessary. To end this episode, I want to pick up on the idea of enlightened self-interest as the strongest remaining guarantee of people against themselves. That's a curious way for Tocqueville to put the idea, and there are a couple of things going on here. One way to think about this is that when most or all people engage in civic life, it's more likely that differences between people can be worked out through the political process as opposed to violent conflict. So enlightened self-interest becomes a method to replace the violent with the political. And people have an interest in this, even if civic life doesn't in itself appeal to them greatly. It's a participatory check against brutal and oppressive social and political environments. But even this check of enlightened self-interest is no perfect solution to a tyranny of the majority. Political scientists, political philosophers, and others write about the phenomena of permanent minorities. These are groups that always find themselves on the losing side of an issue, often one they care deeply about. And I think it's safe to say that the greatest challenge to democracy in the 21st century is likely going to be how to address the concerns of those that despite their civic engagement and efforts at enlightened self-interest never seem to make any headway with issues they often care deeply about. Now it's true that not everyone will always get their way in a democracy or any form of government for that matter. But it's a deeper concern when large groups of people never get their way with respect to issues they see as vitally important. How can those groups be brought into the political fold in a way that avoids a tyranny of the majority that threatens democratic governance? The longer that question goes unanswered, the worse the prospects for democracy become. Until next time on Egg Timer Philosophy, wishing you good philosophical vibes.